Welcome to Center Ice. It is the first week of March already. It's crazy how time is flying by and we're approaching the midpoint of the season. So both Mac and I figured now is a good time to take a look back on the uh, crazy first half of the season we've had, uh, see how our predictions have been going, see about what teams we think are the contenders this year, which ones are the pretenders, and who's kind of in between. We've got a full show today, lots and lots of stuff to cover. So let's jump right into it, Max, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's start talking about our favorite team, the Buffalo Savers, Mac. <laughs> because it feels like we have this conversation every year. I don't know about you, but every year we kind of, I guarantee you, if I found our conversation on the Sabres during the midpoint of the season last year, it sounded the exact same. The Sabres are disappointing again. And I feel for Buffalo fans. So uh, you and I both, but once again, the Sabres, despite having Hall and Eichel, uh, as you and I predicted at the start of the season, uh, just inconsistencies and lack of depth and inexperience are continuing to hurt this Sabres team. Yeah, and it's it's not just this year. I mean, really, this has been going on for, you know, five, six years now, and it's it's not getting any better. Like, there's really almost no change year to year. Yeah, you bring in a few new players and some younger guys come up from the system, but there's still a lot of problems with the way this organization is ran and, and management and ownership, and it's just – it really is just a mess. Yeah, and uh, it's one of those things where uh, I've said this for a couple of years, unless you see some radical changes, I don't think we're going to see a change in how Buffalo plays. I think what we're seeing now is kind of what we're getting with Buffalo, where you've got some okay pieces, and of course they've got Eichel and Darlene, but everything else is kind of just iffy. And uh, of course the trade deadline is just over a month away and the Sabres could very well be one of the more active teams at the deadline. And we could certainly see them try and ship off hall for some assets. Yeah, no, I think they should. I think if you're, if you're the uh, general manager of the Sabres right now, you've got to be thinking, okay, you know, we never did this rebuild, right? It was never done very well. It was kind of bits and pieces year by year. It was never fully committed to. And now you're in a situation where really you don't have much cap space. You have all these players that are kind of locked in and you're a bottom team in the league and you're taking away development time from younger players by playing, you know, guys like Rasmus Ristolainen and such. And at this point, you know, the Sabres should really be thinking, okay, we need to play the young guys as much as possible. And we need to try and change the culture of this team and this organization, because I have to think that fans are pretty fed up with this. Well, they must be because, you know, it's one thing to miss the playoffs for two or three seasons in a row. But it's another thing to just be perpetually either mediocre or just downright bad like the Sabres are. And I think you're right. A culture change needs to be done. If I were uh, the Pagulas, I would be looking at just completely cleaning house, general manager, all the coaching staff this offseason. And just you almost need a scorched earth policy at this point where everyone that's not named Eichel or Darlene should basically go yeah exactly uh, you know i think you have some pieces there you mentioned Darlene, eichel eichel's tough because even if you decide okay we're gonna tear this down again and keep some pieces they're not going to be competitive while eichel's under contract really so then you have a decision on your hands do you trade eichel and look you can get a ton back for jack eichel and it may come to that because I can tell he's frustrated, as are most of the players. But, you know, I understand they're frustrated, but the players, the coach, the management, everybody's attitude is almost like it's, it's really hard to fathom. It's almost like they just they're not engaged. They don't care. Now, I know that's not necessarily true, but I mean, it's been this way for for years and there's no change. 
Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about quickly about trading uh, Eichel because certainly uh, if you're the Pagulas and you decide to go down this road of scorched earth, we're going to rebuild from the top. This obviously hasn't worked. It's not going to work. Uh, trading Eichel might be a good option for the Sabres. And we both know Eichel would get a, would really help the Sabres stock the cupboards, if you know what I mean. And I, I think it's something that the Sabres should start exploring a little more. You know, maybe at the deadline, you start listening to a few offers, see what kind of stuff you could get for Eichel. And then to me, that's the type of trade you make over the off season. When you move a big piece like that, you're not going to do it at the deadline where people are, where GMs are just going to give you what they have. Unless it's a can't miss offer, of course. But I, I think you got to start thinking about moving on from Eichel. I know Sabres fans don't want to hear it, and I get it. But uh, just look at what happened in Ottawa when you move on from franchise player and Carlson. If you play it right and with a little bit of luck, it can turn into one of the best trades your franchise has ever seen. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm sure the fans and the ownership don't want to make a move like that, but you have to be realistic here. You know, Jack Eichel, if they decide to do another rebuild, is not going to really do much for this team other than, you know, try and carry a mediocre or below average team to a decent spot in the standings. But again, it's it's been Jack Eichel and Rasmus Dahlin and these other players that have just, you know, carried the Sabres to a decent spot in the standings. And now they're, you know, they're not much better than they were. If anything, they're worse. Um, their development team is not very good either. I don't think they know how to develop players very well, to be completely honest. And, you know, Jack Eichel make no mistake he wants to win like any other player so he's got to be frustrated here you know there, there have been rumors consistently about Jack Eichel for years now really ever since he signed that contract and things did not go according to plan which was I guess the plan was to sh- sign players like Skinner to long-term deals and obviously that didn't work out but I, I think he's frustrated I think maybe he wants out not necessarily he's asked for a trade but I think he's open to it at this point whereas before you know he was like okay I'm committed to this team I'm committed to this organization but like I said it's just a tire fire you know how are players supposed to feel especially players like Jack Eichel how would you feel honestly hey you'd feel pretty uh, bad and uh, certainly this situation isn't helping Jack Eichel's confidence and I, I also think the Sabres would be smart to get in front of this because you know as well as I do, as soon as a player requests a trade, it just ramps up the pressure on the general manager and the front office to make that trade sooner rather than later. Where if you start listening right now, you've got the time, you can start listening around and you're not under a whole lot of pressure. If you find a deal you like, you pull the trigger. And if you aren't, if you're not getting a deal that you don't think is worth what Jack Eichel is, and you can just say no, where as soon as a player like Eichel requests a trade, the pressure is on, and you may be forced to take a deal that you wouldn't have taken otherwise. Yeah, exactly, and I think there's some really good, you know, I've heard some of the intriguing packages that could potentially be offered for Jack Eichel, and, you know, there are teams that are in a position right now where they have all these good young assets and draft picks, and players that are willing to give up a lot for him. And you're in a situation right now where you need those assets. You need to cut salary and you need to start a process of, you know, building this thing again, because it's going to take a while and it needs to be done the right way. And you need to, you know, hire the right coach and hire the right GM and build a better player development system and figure out how to run this hockey team. Because if you don't, it's only going to get worse. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll wrap up on, but wrap up by saying this, Mac, when a GM tries to rush a rebuild, how often does it actually work out? I, I can't think of many situations where a team says, we're going to 
just accelerate this rebuild to 11 and we're going to be a Stanley Cup contender. It, it just doesn't work that way. A rebuild, you know, look at the Leafs. It took them three, four seasons to really build that core. And now look at where they are in the North. They're uh, cruising right now. So you got to be patient and you, you can't rush these things. You got to let your players develop. You got to give these guys some time to grow and you got to have some good coaching and the Sabres didn't do that. And they're paying for it because as soon as they got Eichel, they thought, Oh, well rebuild's over. It's time to compete. And that just wasn't the case. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it'll be really interesting to see what happens, but I mean, now this is just my opinion because you know, I'm, I'm coming at this from a completely neutral standpoint. I, I don't know much about what goes on with the Sabres and the Pagulas and, and all the moves they've made. But I think if you really want to fix this situation, you need to sell the team to someone else. Someone else needs to buy this team. And like I said, start a rebuild. And could you sell Jack Eichel on staying? Maybe. But it'll be tough. Well, like, let's be honest. And you're probably going to have to blow up the roster. And like you said, do this thing the right way. I don't think the Pagulas know how to run a hockey team. I think they figured out how to run a football team pretty well, but I don't think they have a clue how to run a hockey team that. Well, I know this isn't a football show, Mac, but what I think the Pagulas discovered about the Bills and they should, they should, if they want to keep owning the Sabres, and I think that's the most likely thing that's going to keep happening is they discovered with the Bills, if you let the people that are experts at running a football team run the football team good things happen and, and that was an issue with the bills for a long time with owner meddling and things like that but now that the bills have a front office independent from the ownership the only thing the ownership does is write the checks look at how good the bills are and they're going to be good again next year so if the pagulas can do that and hire the best front office staff available hire a coach that'll work well with these young up and coming players and make a good move with Eichel and start building. This is a Sabres team that I think can be better sooner than people expect, you know, two, three seasons. Well, look, okay. The thing about, about a rebuild is yes, it can take a while, but when we talk about a rebuild taking, you know, four or five years or more, what we mean by that is it takes that many years for all those young players to really develop, be at the NHL level, and make an impact. What can happen between that time is a lot. You know, there are players that, you know, fall out of favor with teams that you can trade for. Um, you know, there are free agents you can sign that are cheaper than others and better value. You can draft well. Some players are more NHL ready than others. A lot can happen in that time and we've seen teams that kind of accelerated the rebuild but didn't rush it and I think a lot of teams are going to start doing that now where okay yeah we have this great prospect pool and all these draft picks and all this cap room but we need to you know try and make this team a little more competitive and what that requires is you know scouting whether it be pro scouting amateur scouting and also, just hiring the right staff. I mean, that's critical. That, that's very important. Mm, it's absolutely important. And the Sabres are such a fascinating case study on mediocrity and how not to do a rebuild. And I think, uh, I, of course, we feel for Sabres fans. We really do. But I think that the uh, Sabres they need to look at themselves, take a long look at themselves in the mirror as a franchise and look at how they can rebuild for long-term success. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah, we're in agreement on that one. <laughs> yep. So let's move on to our next topic of interest. Uh, of course, so, some pretty big news over the past couple of weeks, Claude Julian gets fired from the Montreal Canadiens. I wouldn't say a shocking move, Mac, uh, based on how the Canadiens were playing, but still a, a move that I didn't think they would make as quickly as they did. Yeah, that's fair to say because, you know, they have always trusted Claude Julien and they've given him a long leash. And, and look, he has a great legacy as a really good coach in the NHL. 
And I don't think they wanted to make this move. But at the same time, you had a team that was struggling to put together consistent efforts night after night. And the funny thing about the Montreal Canadiens is that even strength, they're a very good hockey team. But their special teams are terrible. And you have the decline of, you know, Carey Price, who has really not that impressive this season. And I think Jake Allen deserves more starts the way he's played. But also you just have uh, some lines that don't really make sense. You know, Kotkaniemi is not getting enough of an opportunity to produce. You know, you don't really have a good plan. And I think Claude Julien is one of those coaches that he's always been defense first. But at the same time, he's kind of an old school head coach, if you know what I mean. And I think the challenge for him with this Montreal Canadiens team was that you had all these great young players that were coming up that were drafted into the league. And he also tends to favor those veteran players and it takes the young players a long time to earn his trust. So yeah, it it was kind of difficult for him to juggle the two back and forth. And that led to guys like Paul Byron being scratched and eventually waived, etc. And eventually it just became enough is enough. And they decided, okay, we need to make a change. And they had this guy, Dominic Ducharme, lined up. So he takes over and really, you know, small sample size after they got rid of Claude Julien. But it's, it's still kind of the same thing here for Montreal. Like, not much change. Well, I, I think the epitome of looking at how the Canadian the problems with the Canadians is just look at their power play. You and I were watching uh, the Sens and Habs game uh, last week, and you and I could call their power play <laughs> as soon as the faceoff was won for the Canadians. All right, well, we've got all these young players like Kokinami out there who can really shoot and really score. we got Tyler Toffoli, all these guys. What are we going to do on the power play, Mac? We're going to pass it to the point. And Shea Weber is going to fire a puck into traffic and hopefully score. I think that epitomizes what's going on with the Montreal Canadiens in a nutshell. Yeah. You've, you've yeah. got all of these guys that deserve some more ice time and deserve a longer leash. But what are we going to do on the power play rather than uh, be creative and start moving the puck around? Hey, Shea Weber, here's the puck for you. And I, I got to talk about Carey Price very quickly. You mentioned Carey Price and the sharp decline. You and I, to an extent, called it in our season preview where we said Carey Price is still good. He's not as good as he used to be. But if you use him sparingly and use him not on back-to-backs and you know play him le- much less than he was playing, he can still be a very good goalie. And the Canadians clearly haven't learned that, that lesson yet because they're playing Carey Price way too much, as you mentioned. And they should be playing Allen more because – the starts Allen has had, and he hasn't had a whole lot of starts, unfortunately, but the sample size we have seen from him has been quite good. Now, I will say this. I think Dominic Ducharme has recognized that Jake Allen needs more starts, and he's actually played a little more since he took over. But really, I think you're at a point where you have to admit to yourself that this is a 1A, 1B situation. You cannot rely on Carey Price to play 50-plus games a season. You just can't. You know, Jake Allen and Carey Price should be able to split starts 50-50 or 60-40 at this point. And that's what what good, smart teams do. I mean, the best comparison I can think of here is Tuka Rask with the Boston Bruins. You know, Tuka Rask used to play a lot. And then over time, the Bruins realized with the injuries and, you know, sometimes he would play fatigued in the playoffs that playing him that many games was not a smart idea. So eventually you got to a point where you said, okay, look, we have Yara Hulak here and we have full confidence in his abilities. So why don't we just, you know, we'll play Rask a little more than Hulak, but we're not going to overplay any of them. And, you know, look what that's led to. That's led to some successful playoff runs and both of them being healthy 
most of the time. You know, every team, unless you have, I don't know, I guess like a Connor Hellebuck, for example, or an Andre Vasilevsky, you know, those guys are special goaltenders. They're young and they can handle a pretty big load. But if you're talking about older guys like Carey Price and Tuka Rask, you know, et cetera, you need to recognize that they can't play that much because the more they play, the more chances of injuries, fatigue in the playoffs, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Montreal, uh, they started off the season very hot. They've uh, cooled off as of late. And the Canadians, they need to figure it out. And they need to figure it out soon. They are 2-5-3 and three in their last 10 back. And they had a couple tough losses against the Senators. And, and even though I'm a Sens fan and I want to see the Sens win as much as they can, if you're a Habs fan or any of these other teams in the Northern Division – when you head to Ottawa or Ottawa comes to face you, it, you got to expect you to win those games. You got to play hard. Not saying you should underestimate the Sens, of course not. But you got to you got to take at least one of those games there. And of course, there was the no goal call at the end of regulation. But I, I always like to argue that your team should be able to win despite good or bad calls from the referee. Yeah, absolutely. And Ottawa kept hanging around in in that third period against Montreal when Montreal really should have just stomped out the centers. So it's a larger issue at whole for, for the Montreal Canadiens and just bad call. We lost. So Montreal has got to, got to figure things out and they got to figure it out quickly because they could end up much further in the standings than they are. And let's move on to another Northern division team. Mackie, you have some opinions on uh, the Canucks management, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I when they when Francesco Aquilini came out and he supported Travis Green and Jim Benning, I think a lot of people were surprised. Well, I guess I don't know if "surprised" is the right word. I think Travis Green deserves the support because I think he's a good coach, and I think you know last year in the playoffs proved that. Uh, but you know, Jim Benning given a vote of confidence by the ownership that just really doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, a lot of the moves he's made have not helped the Vancouver Canucks and sure he's been able to accumulate some good young players like, you know, Quinn Hughes, Bo Horvat, Elias Pettersson, Demko. You do have good players in the system, but just look at all the things he's done that have just been wrong. I mean, I, you, I think you start with the trades like Sven Barchi a while ago was a, was a much better player and a much more high profile player. You ended up trading a draft pick that became Rasmus Anderson. Who's now a top four defenseman for Calgary for him. Is that a good move? No. Jared McCann. He was an affordable, good young player. You traded him and a couple draft picks for Eric Goodbranson, and you know, Good Branson's now with Ottawa. He's kind of a second, third pairing defender. He did save himself a little getting Tanner Pearson for a good Branson. So that's good. But then you move on to the free agent signings. Of course, there's the infamous Louis Erickson, six years at $36 million. Sam Gagne, you brought in three years, almost $10 million. And the latest one was Tyler Myers, five years and $30 million. But I think the one I point to over all of them is when they drafted Jake Vertanen. And you could have picked from William Nylander, Nikolai Ehlers, Kevin Fiala, Dylan Larkin, or David Pasternak. I mean, can you imagine how much better off the Canucks would be right now if they had any of those guys other than Jake Vertanen? Oh, they would be much better. There's no question. And... Uh, you and I were talking about Jim Benning when we were watching hockey a few days ago and, and our conversation, uh, it's worth bringing up here. We, we got to the point where you and I were talking about, well, let's talk about who the Canucks have drafted and who's really good. And you and I talked about, you know, the, the Pedersons of the world, but, and I think moves like that where you get Pedersen and Demko and all, and Hughes and all these other guys, they overshadow the big issues 
and the major goofs, to say the least, that Jim Benning has made when he's been GM. You know, he's when the Canucks hit on the draft pick, Mac, they hit a home run. There's no doubt about it. But I think those home run picks, like the Pedersons, overshadow the real issues that are dragging down this Canucks team. Yeah, I and mean, you just look at the way the roster is constructed. I mean, how many of those players did they draft and develop? I mean, you look at the whole roster, and we can just go through it if you want. Yeah, go right ahead. <laughs> but basically, you're looking at a team right now that that is struggling to keep pace in a, in a in the North Division. They have zero cap space, and if you just Let's just look at the roster right now. You know, you've got Brock Besser, Bo Horvat. Those are two guys that you drafted and developed. You traded for JT Miller, who's a good player, but you gave up a lot to get him from Tampa Bay. You traded for Brandon Sutter and gave him way too much money. You traded for Tanner Pearson. He's a good player. I have no issues with that. You signed Antoine Roussel for far too much money. He still makes three mil this year and next. Same thing, Jay Beagle, Jake Vertanen, you drafted. Adam Gaudet hasn't quite found his way at the NHL level yet. You drafted him. We mentioned Pedersen, Hoaglander. You know, Zach McEwen is kind of a power forward enforcer type. Jace Howerluck, you did not draft. You know, Alex Edler is 34 years old. This is the last year on his deal. You drafted him. You signed Tyler Myers as a free agent. You traded for an H. Schmidt. You signed Jordy Ben. You signed Travis Hamnick. And then you drafted, you know, Quinn Hughes, Ole Levy, and Thatcher Demko. But, you know, overall, it's just not a well-built roster. And it, it's not that much different than a team like the Sabres. Obviously, they're better off than the Sabres. But, you know... Instead of signing all these guys to long-term deals, they should have been focused on drafting and developing players and not accumulating so much salary where, you know, next year you're going to have a hard time signing all these guys you have to sign. Like, you know, Tanner Pearson is a UFA next year. Elias Pettersson is an RFA. You know, Brock Besser's two years out. He'll be an RFA. Jake Vertan and rumors are out there that he might just leave. And Thatcher Demko is an RFA next year. So, like, you've created this situation where you're dependent on cutting salary to sign these players. And, you know, that's, that's going to make things really hard for the Canucks. Absolutely. Uh, the Canucks, you and I, we were praising them during the playoffs, and rightly so, because they, they were obviously – farther ahead in their rebuild than you and I thought. And we thought this is a sign of things to come for the Canucks if they can keep on the course. And Jim Benning doesn't make stupid moves over the offseason. That was our big caveat. I remember that. And, well, it's Jim Benning. And, of course, he makes bad moves. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think if you're ownership, you got to uh, you got to get rid of Jim Benning because I think he drags down – he's dragging down this team. And – there's much better GMs out there, no doubt. Oh, 100%. I mean, and this is one of the big problems with the NHL and, you know, the owners that run these teams is a lot of them just don't know how. And they just assume that you have to hire these guys like Jim Benning and you don't give, you know, other guys a chance at a GM position. Instead of being progressive, you're basically being the opposite. You're being regressive or... Regressive at worst or the status quo at best? Yeah, and exactly. Look at these teams like the Maple Leafs are a great example, Mac, with Kyle Dubas. You know, you look at teams like the Maple Leafs that have got a very progressive, forward-thinking front office. And the Leafs don't hit on every move. We're not coming out here to say that these progressive, newer, younger GMs and front offices are the ones that they're not right 100% of the time. But... I think it's safe to say Kyle Dubas as a general manager for the Leaf tends to hit more than he misses. And let's not forget, he's got a very good support staff around him too. So if you're the Canucks, you got to look at your front office because 
the Canucks, in my opinion, is frustrating. They're oh so close to being a really good team, but they they just are being dragged down by these bloated contracts and guys that can barely skate anymore. Yep, exactly. And, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens, but I think you and I are on the same page here. I We're both really surprised when he was given that vote of confidence because I think especially after the start to this season, if the Canucks want to make the playoffs right now, they have to be out of this world for the rest of the season. And I, I am not convinced that's going to happen. The craziest thing about Vancouver is, you know, you and I were, were very impressed with them in the playoffs. And then yeah. all of a sudden, like, I don't even recognize this team anymore that's playing this year. Mm. Exactly. You, you raise a great point there, Mac. And let's not forget that a third of Vancouver's wins have come against the Ottawa Senators. And that was when the Sens were really, really bad. And of course, the Sens have had a resurgence. And I'll get to that quickly in a moment. But, you know, the Canucks come to play the Senators uh, in a couple weeks and the Sens play the Canucks a lot. At the rate the Vancouver Canucks are going and the rate the Senators are going, they're both going different directions. There's the potential for the Senators to finish ahead of the Canucks, and that should concern a lot of Canucks fans. It, it should wake up ownership yep. too. So yep. I think you, you got to take a, you know, a team like Montreal, I mentioned that I felt they were a little premature in firing Claude Julien. I understood where they're coming from, but why aren't we seeing the same sense of urgency from the Canucks? Because this season is quickly becoming a lost one and they aren't doing anything about it. We can't blame Travis Green. He's doing the best with what he's got. But if your ownership, you got to look at Jim Bennig and sit and say this, he's now a liability. And I'd argue he's been a liability for quite some time and he's dragging down this team. Yep. That's you hit the nail on the head. All right, well, before we get into our pretenders and contenders, uh, I got to talk about the Senators very quickly, Mac, because since we last talked, it, it all, it's almost like DJ Smith and Pierre Dorian listened to some of my rants <laughs> from our last episode. Because <laughs> Now, I will caveat by saying this. They haven't gone full in on the youth. They're getting there. They're not perfect. But you look at the guys that they're playing now. They're giving Norris, they're giving, they're giving Brandstrom a chance, they're giving Batherson, and I gotta talk about Batherson. Cause he has just been unbelievable, Mac. He's got eight goals in six games or something like that. And he he just looks so confident. He seems to have found his swagger at the NHL level. And it's really good to see. There, there's been a trio of senators, and I know not a lot of people watch Sens games, and I don't really blame people for that. But over the past few weeks, they've injected more youth into the lineup and they're starting to play these old guys that can barely skate less, which is good to see. And the last few Sens games have been quite entertaining, I got to say. Uh, you watched uh, the Sens and Habs games with me uh, a couple Tuesdays, a week ago. Yeah, it was a week ago. Time really flies. Mm. And mm. you and I both commented that this looks like a fun team. This is... The way the Senators are playing now, Mac, is how I wanted to see them play, which is you're not going to win every game. Of course not. And you're going to struggle at times, but you're in every game. And that's what fans want to see. And that's very encouraging to see from the Senators, especially as you see these guys get called up from Belleville and finally given an opportunity to play. And a lot of these guys are taking their opportunity and running with it. And I think that the Sens should learn from this lesson and other teams like Vancouver, Buffalo, teams that we've, Montreal, teams that we've talked about that are struggling with these old guys that can barely skate and are well past their prime. I think teams like that can learn from this where in a short season like this, you can't be afraid to play these young guys. They're going to make mistakes. But the, uh, to me, the trade-off is absolutely worth it. I hope Pierre Dorian tells DJ Smith, you're not playing like Mike Riley 
20 minutes a game anymore. You're going to bring in, you're going to bring in Eric Brandstrom, who's also come into his own this season. I've been very happy with him. When he came over from Vegas, he's had a couple seasons here, Mac, where, you know, we knew what he could be, but he just kind of, and we've seen this with defensemen. He just kind of looked off at the NHL level. And then last season, before the season got cut short, they sent him to, to Belleville. And the development there with Troy Mann seems to have done a wonders for him because he just looks so much more confident. And I don't know if the Sens are ever going to get even with the Mark Stone trade. It's a tough one to judge. But if Brandstrom can p- keep playing like he is now for the Senators, it'll get close. So my wrapping note on the Senators is – if you're a team in the North, you can't sleep on the Senators anymore. They seem to have woken up. Matt Murray seems to be playing better. And they, they're playing for one another. They remind me a lot of the Hurricanes from a few seasons ago where they weren't going to make the playoffs, but boy, oh boy, did they play for one another. And they were fun to watch. Yeah, no, I, I agree. They've really started to turn things around. I mean, Tim Stutzlow was named the Rookie of the Month. So that, that's also good news. You mentioned Matt Murray has been a lot better. Drake Batherson is, is scoring goals at a, at a great clip. You know, Brady Kachuk is starting to pile up points. The signs are there that this is starting to turn around. And I think, I think the one, uh, the most intriguing thing about this team is how much they can score. I mean, it seems they're never out of any game. And that's, that's great news for Sense fans. Absolutely. And it's just exciting to see the Sens play entertaining hockey. That was what was frustrating about the first two and a half, three weeks of the season where the Sens would go out and they would just get curb stomped. They would lose badly. They weren't in any game and it it just wasn't fun. But now, even when they're losing, they tend to play strong games. Matt Murray arguably had his best game of the season last night. He, despite the 5-1 scoreline that Flames really took it to the Sens for the for a good chunk of the game last night, and Matt Murray looked solid. So he's regaining his confidence as well, and it's really good to see. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on to our contenders, pretenders, and kind of in-between segment here, Mac. We're halfway through the season, and this is about the time where you can start to see who is going to really make a push for the Cup, who might make a push for the Cup, and who are the teams that are probably overachieving at this point. So, Mac, where do you want to start today? The contenders, pretenders, or the in-between? Well, I think we should talk about the pretenders first because it's always so hard to gauge results, especially this year with the way the divisions work. But, I mean, uh, the way I like to think of the pretenders is they're teams that have just, like you said, overachieved and – you know, certain players have vaulted them above where they're supposed to be. And I think the one that sticks out the most to me is the Chicago Blackhawks, because what you and I said at the start of the season is, you know, if the Blackhawks get good goaltending and Patrick Kane lights it up and he's carrying this team, that's how they'll win games. And that's basically what they've been doing. And they've gotten a lot of power play opportunities. They've played a lot of undisciplined teams. And look, to his credit, Kevin Lankinen and Malcolm Subban and Patrick Kane and Dylan Strom, all those guys have been good for them. But it's such a small sample size, and I just don't see it here. I really don't. And I think it's a good story, and it's, it's nice to see the Blackhawks being better than we thought they'd be but I don't see this continuing on. No, neither do I. And it's important to mention, Mac, that the Blackhawks are in a pretty weak division. Once you discount the Hurricanes and the Lightning, the Hawks, you know, as you mentioned, it's been a really good story. But I agree. It just doesn't seem like they they don't have the team to continue this. If the... uh, Hawks had a few more pieces in place. They might be able to. I think you could make that argument. But they've just been playing so well. And it just doesn't seem sustainable. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I don't think the Hawks won't finish out the season strong. I think they'll be a a solid team. I think we can make that argument. But they aren't a contender. 
no way they're a contender. Mm-hmm. All right, who's next on your uh, pretenders list, Mac? Florida Panthers. Ah, well, Florida, another team in the Central Division. And the, the Florida Panthers, to me, Mac, are a team that had a very easy schedule. And you can start to see it. They've cooled off a bit in their last 10. They're 5-3-2 and two now, and they've lost two overtime games in a row. So they started off very, very hot. And you can see they're starting to cool down a little. Yeah, no, I think there's no doubt they've improved. And there's no doubt they're one of those teams that has said, okay, we want to change the way we play against other teams. And we want to change the way this team looks. And that's what happens when you bring in guys like, you know, Radko Gudis, who I believe leads the NHL in hits and is just a pain to play against. And, you know, Patrick Hornquist, great net front presence, a guy that's won a lot. You know, he knows how to play and how to get under your skin. And also just letting the younger guys come up, like Owen Tippett, and really just continuing to develop those young guys while knowing, you know, who your stars are. You know, Jonathan Huberdeau has been fabulous. And I think maybe the the best story for them is that Chris Streger has been their best goalie. And, you know, Sergei Bobrovsky, to me, has been better, but he still hasn't nearly been the same as he was, you know, when he was with Columbus. No, and uh, unless he gets back to that form, he's never going to live up to that contract. No, it's it's basically, well, even if he does, you know, how long can that form last, really? It's, it's a really tough contract to live up to, but, you know, like I said, we no one can blame him for signing it. Mm. Well, as I mentioned, uh, the easy schedule for the Florida Panthers, you look at who they've played in their last few games. You played Detroit back-to-back, and then you played three games against Dallas, and then you play the Hurricanes, and you they edge you. And then they haven't really played a lot of the tough teams. They played Nashville a couple times this weekend, and then they they really have been avoiding the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I think playing... The Hurricanes and the Lightning will prove, without a doubt, Mac, what this team really is all about. And I I stand to be corrected. If the uh, Florida Panthers and Chris Drieger, Anthony Duclair, and Gudis, and all these other guys can go into Tampa and get some hard-fought wins against the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Carolina Hurricanes, I will happily come on the show and say, we were, we were wrong. They are contenders. But when you look at the teams they've played, they've played really all the teams that are towards the bottom of their division. And they don't really play the Hurricanes or the Lightning much until later this month or next month. And I think that's where we'll see what this Florida team's really made of. Yeah, and no question those two teams are the measuring stick in the division. You know, they're number one and number two. I don't think anyone would question that. Mm-hmm. Well, Florida's number two overall right now, but... I do think they're going to cool off. And I think that I, will pa- I won't pass judgment on them until they play Tampa or Carolina because both those teams are quite hot themselves right now. Tampa's won four in a row and Carolina's won two in a row. Yeah, that's fair enough. All right, who else is on your list, Mac? Um, I went with the Washington Capitals because – you know, it's, they're one of those teams that they've been better. You, you know, like I think adding Zdeno Chara and Connor Sherry and, and some of these guys that they've brought in, they've been better defensively, but not a whole lot. And I, you know, the one thing that Washington Capitals can do very well, and I think Peter Laviolette has recognized that, is they have a great transition offense and a very good power play. So what he started to do with them is recognize that and know that they're never out of any game and encourage the D to jump in. And he knows guys like Backstrom and Ovechkin and Kuznetsov, Verona, they can all do that. So they've remained competitive and I think they're still a good team, but you know, there's no way I can say this team is a Stanley cup contender because they're an old team 
And when they go up against better teams like Philadelphia and Boston, et cetera, they don't stand a chance. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. I'm going to add one more here, Matt, because I think they're worth mentioning, especially over the past couple of games. I got to put the Edmonton Oilers in here, Mac, because remember, the Oilers were very hot. All Sportsnet was talking about last week was this is the real Oilers, Mac. <laughs> Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, everything's clicking for the Oilers. Yeah. You know, 7-3-0 in their last 10. And then Toronto comes in, and just like with the Florida Panthers, the Maple Leafs are the measuring stick in the North Division, without a doubt. And what happens? They lose two in a row, and they don't play very well against the uh, Leafs in either game. And to their credit, the, the Leafs played very, very well. I, we got to mention that. But... Yeah. The Oilers did not do well at all. And I just, I don't see it with the Oilers. They had a hot streak. There's no doubt about that. And they played well over those, those games. But you look at who they played. They played the Senators twice. They played the Canadians who were starting to slip. They uh, split a series against the Jets. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they beat Calgary, who's been struggling. And then yeah. they beat Vancouver. And then they finally play a team like the Leafs that have been hot and the Leafs, in my opinion, put them in their place. Yeah, no, that's a good one. I like that one a lot because, you know, like we've talked about the game plan and the way they play and what they expect to do, which is basically, okay, if McDavid and Dreisaitl can't carry us to a win, we need one of two things to happen. We need a great effort from a guy like Nugent Hopkins or Pugliarvi, or you need a, absolutely fabulous night from Koskinen or Smith. And, and look, that's a lot to expect. Well, yeah, well, you look at the last couple games against the Leafs, that's the prime example of why they're pretenders. Leon Dreisaitl, as you messaged me this morning, a very good stat to point out. Leon Dreisaitl has not scored in the previous two games. That hasn't happened in years. Yeah, Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. I, I was blown away by this stat last night as I was falling asleep watching the game. <laughs> In the last two years, this is the first time Dreisaitl and McDavid have gone pointless in consecutive games. I mean, that is just crazy. Mm-hmm. That just tells you how incredibly good those two are and how hard it is to shut them down. And I will say this, Mac. No matter how good the the Oilers finish the season. For example, the next week, you look at their schedule. They play Calgary. Well, they finish off their schedule against the Leafs tomorrow night, and I think the Leafs are going to win that. Then you play the Flames at home on Saturday, and then you have three at home against the Sens, and then you play the Canucks the next day. So you're playing some weaker teams, and even at – I think it, even if they take two out of three versus Ottawa or they take three out of four of those games or something like that, if they keep losing to the Leafs like they are, I'm, stu- I'm just going to be skeptical on them. I'm going to keep calling them pretenders. And let's not forget, as I mentioned, Ottawa has been getting better. Calgary can win on any night. Arguably, Vancouver can win on any night. Winnipeg can be hit or miss. Mm-hmm. But when you play Toronto, that's your measuring stick. And if the Leaf, if the sorry, if the Oilers can't play well against the Leafs, then they're still pretenders to me. Yeah, and you know that that was a big test for them. And and look, I'll give full credit to the Leafs because they played two great games. But the Edmonton Oilers did not do enough to really push the Leafs in those games. The Leafs kept them to the outside. You know, they frustrated them. McDavid and Dreisaitl took a bunch of penalties. But again, it's it's one of those series where it really points out the flaws in your team. If those guys aren't doing anything, you really don't stand a chance. And that's a huge problem. Oh, it's been a problem for the Oilers for years. I, I think you and I, for going back to the start of this show, you and I have said, look, once you take away Dreisaitl and McDavid, what do you have left? A mediocre team. Yep, exactly. All right. Let's move on to the middle ground before we get on to the contenders, Mac. You look at these teams in the middle ground. Who, who do you see kind of in between at the moment? 
I think Montreal deserves to be there because even strength, they're, they're a very, very good team. And their game plan is good, but their special teams are terrible. And Carey Price, like I mentioned, continues to decline. So unless they figure out those special teams and they figure out the goaltending situation, they're going to be kind of in that in-between category for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. And uh, I think I'd put Calgary in there as well, Mac. Uh, they've been really weird this year, to say the least. They're always weird. Oh, I, I know. I know. But this year in particular, they've been really odd. Yeah. I think their uh, three games against the Senators recently epitomized that. You know, you have two games. You have one game where you just come out and you get absolutely destroyed by mm-hmm. the Sens. The next game, you play a solid game and you get a good win against the Sens. And then last night, you play strong on offense. You run into a hot Matt Murray, but your goaltending fails you. I think those three games sum up what's going on with the Flames. They've been all over the place. The goaltending with Markstrom hasn't been all that great. Mm -hmm. And the forwards, once again, just like the playoffs, they're hot and they're cold. And... one of two things is going to happen here with Calgary, Mac. They're either going to keep struggling like this, or they're going to go on a uh, six, seven game winning streak going into the playoffs. Everyone's going to get hyped on them again, except you and I, <laughs> and they'll lose in round one or two. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, right now with, with the way the division is playing and the way teams are improving, like Winnipeg and Ottawa, Calgary really needs to get things going if they want to stay in this, you know, having a chance category. Absolutely. It's worth noting, at least in the North Division, the Sens are only six points out of a playoff spot. So it just shows you this division is getting tighter. Mm-hmm. And even even uh, even Vancouver, with all their struggles, are only three points out of a playoff spot. So Cal- Calgary is slipping, and they're not slipping at a good time. Yep. All right. Any other teams you want to kind of put in between? Los Angeles for me has been interesting because, you know, they had won six in a row at one point. They're getting great goaltending from Cal Peterson and they've got a defensive system in place. They actually, Matt, they play the old one, three, one, which we don't really see a lot. And I don't know how you feel about that, but they're playing it very well. And they're getting, you know, contributions from their young players and Kopitar and Brown. You know, Doughty's been solid, not great, mind you. And, you know, they're a hard team to play against. So I think the Los Angeles Kings are certainly in the mix for a playoff spot here. Yeah, I think that's a good point there, Mac. Uh, And especially with uh, Colorado being kind of iffy at times. They, They haven't dominated like you and I thought they would. Los Angeles could certainly hop them. Yeah, we'll see. And then I think the only other one that stands out to me is Dallas because it's it's tough for me to evaluate them because so many games have been postponed. Plus, you have injuries to Tyler Sagan and Ben Bishop, two of your better players. And, you know, for a team like them, getting all these games postponed, whether it be their games or their away games – it's really tough to get any sort of rhythm going. And I think that could be really detrimental to them if it continues to happen. I mean, I, especially for a team in the NHL or in any league, really, when your flow and your rhythm gets interrupted and you really can't get anything going consistently, it's a tough way to play. It really is. Absolutely. And honestly, I think this makes a good, this makes a good transition to our contenders, Mac. Honestly, this bodes well for a team like the Leafs because there hasn't been any games postponed yet in the North Division because of COVID. So the Leafs are playing on a rhythm. They're playing very well, and they're absolutely a contender. And I think come playoff time, if these interruptions continue in the three other divisions but stay mostly uninterrupted in the North, this Leafs team could just be firing on all cylinders the whole way through. And that's something we haven't seen from the Leafs in ages. Honestly, I don't think I've ever seen a Leafs team play this well in my lifetime, at least as consistent as the Leafs have played the last month. You and I both, my friend. (laughs) I mean, the the closest I can think of is maybe the early 2000s, but even then, you know, those were Leafs teams with a lot more physical presence than 
the Leafs are now, and they they yeah. were quite inconsistent at times. It, it was more hitting than than good defense. Well, let's be honest, hitting and fighting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Darcy Tucker, Max Domi. Yeah. So yeah, the the Leafs. You know, as a Sens fan. There's a, of course just the Battle of Ontario, but I gotta acknowledge this this is a good Leafs team. And if you're a Leafs fan like you are, Mac, you gotta be happy. This is finally what we're seeing, and of course what we want to see. And of course, it remains to be seen come playoff time. That's where things will really matter. But at the moment, you're probably just sitting back and enjoying the ride. Oh yeah, you know, I'm just it's so impressive because I, just everything that they've gone through. You know, right now the, the previous few games they were without Muzzin and Matthews and Anderson and Campbell. You know, Campbell comes back post a shutout. Michael Hutchison is playing very well in front of a defense that's also playing very well. And you know, how often have I said that before? But they just seem to have that kind of team mentality. It's not about individual. It's about everybody chipping in, doing their part, and knowing, you know, what it takes to win. And I think Sheldon Keefe and the players and the staff serve a lot of credit for putting that system in and, you know, give the players credit. They've bought in. Everybody is, you know, not playing for themselves, but they're playing for the team. And, and it's it really is great to see because – they're a very dangerous team right now, and it doesn't matter who's out. It doesn't matter what injuries they have. It doesn't matter if maybe they've lost a game they should have won. They just take it one game at a time. Yeah, and I think a key example, a key difference I'm seeing with this Leafs team this year, Mac, is resiliency. You know, they they have a horrible game against the Sens the one night. They, they were up by the one. They should have cruised to an easy victory. Sens come back, break their hearts, and win in overtime. And, you know, last year's Leaf team or the team before that, they would have probably folded and lost you know, another game or two. They would have struggled. But the Leafs come out and they win the next two games convincingly. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's another good example for sure. All right, more contenders. How about the Carolina Hurricanes, Mac? Uh, we talked about them briefly earlier in our pretenders. But they, these Carolina Hurricanes certainly are not pretenders. They are contenders. And... You know, what else is there to say about the Hurricanes other than they're young, they're consistent, they continue to play the the winning formula in, in Carolina, and it's good to see. Yeah, no doubt. I, I'm I love watching them play. I mean, they're one of my favorite teams to watch of any teams in the league. They're just they do everything the right way, you know. They're fast, they're skilled, they're young, they're exciting. They've got good goaltending. They play like a team, and they're well coached. Absolutely. All right, next team. How about uh, the arch rival for the Toronto Maple Leafs at this point, the Boston Bruins, Mac? They've been pretty good. Uh, you mentioned how Tuka Rask hasn't been playing a full load, and that's really helped the Boston Bruins this year. Yeah, no, the Boston Bruins are still a very good team. And, and right now they're dealing with a lot of injuries, so I think I can excuse some of the results lately. I don't know if their fans would feel the same way, but look, this is still a very good team. They still have a very good coach. I do think they could use some additions. The one big one I've heard that I think would help them a lot is Matias Ekholm, if they're able to get him from Nashville. I think he would help out that defense a lot. He's kind of a, a defense-first defenseman um, who's very good with his stick, and you know he can hit guys as well, and he doesn't hurt you in any way reasonable contract i think a guy like that could help them a lot Mm -hmm, absolutely and we've got a whole bunch of contenders here mac Uh, tampa bay lightning obviously uh that's defending stanley cup champions they've dealt with some injuries as well just like the boston bruins but they've been resilient they've found ways to win and they look like a more they look like a more consistent team than they were at times last year they know what it takes to win. They know how hard it is to win the Stanley Cup. And they're in tough. You know, back-to-back cups very rarely happen. Everything had to go perfectly right for Pittsburgh to win their back-to-back caps a few years ago. And we could see it with Tampa Bay, but it's not going to be easy, that's for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, what else is there to say about Tampa Bay? They're just as good as they were last year. You know, Andre Vasilevsky is the best goalie in the league. You know, Nikita Kucherov could be back by playoff time if all goes well. This is going to be a tough team to out once again. Absolutely. The uh, Colorado Avalanche, I mentioned them a, a few minutes ago as a team that's been a little mediocre, but of course they've dealt with a lot of injuries too. Yeah, and I think the one thing I've been really impressed with with Colorado is we know how good they can be offensively, but defensively this year, especially with the additions of, you know, Brandon Saad and Devin Tays, they've been really, really good defensively, and they've had really good goaltending as well. So if they can kind of figure out that offense, you know, maybe there's some trades in the future. I mean, this is a dangerous team for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, Vegas Golden Knights, uh, division rivals, they've been very, very good this year too. Yeah, you know they're just as good as they were last year. I think Robin Leonard has had a tough season because of you know, uh, I guess COVID reasons and injuries as well. You know, but Mark Andre Fleury has been very good. You know, Mark Stone has been very good and. And, you know, Max Pacioretty, the usual suspects, they've got a great development system. They've got young players like Nick Hag and Zach Whitecloud and Cody Glass that are coming through the system and playing well for them. They're just a very good team. Yep. And so have the St. Louis Blues. They've been very good, too. Uh, rumors are that Tarasenko's getting closer to returning. That'll be a big plus for the St. Louis Blues. And... Even without Tarasenko, we've seen this before. This is a team that knows how to win without him in the lineup. And the Blues are consistently good. They've been pretty good. Uh, Bennington's been good. Uh, all around, solid stuff from the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, for sure. All right, the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, another team that's been just good this year. Carter Hart, he uh, struggled to start the year, but he seems to be uh, finding his groove now. The Flyers have been playing better as of late. And you and I are, you and I, uh, on our predictions wise, I think you and I are going to be right at the end of the day. It will be a two horse race between the Bruins and the Flyers. Of course, the Islanders have thrown their name in there too, but I think the uh, Islanders, pardon me, the Flyers are getting hotter. They've won three in a row. Hurts looking better. The offense is playing well, and the defense, of course, is being great. So I think the uh, Flyers are a team that's on the rise here, and that. They have uh, they're three games behind less played than the Washington Capitals. So they've got three games at hand there, and they're only a few game points behind the Capitals. Same with the Bruins. All right. And then the final team here, a team that impressed both you and I, the Minnesota Wild. Oh, yeah. I mean, we both know how good the Minnesota Wild are defensively, how good of a system they have, how well coached they are. But this year, what's different is they're in any game and they have the offense with a guy like Kirill Kaprizov who can basically skate circles around people and just use his great speed and skill set to make plays kind of as a play driver for the wild, but also just contributions from everyone. I mean, you know, Victor Rask, who didn't do much offensively kind of the last year or two, is scoring goals. Nico Sturm scoring goals, you know. Zach Parise contributing. The defense has been very good. And, you know, Capo Kakinen basically supplanted Alex Stalock as the backup goalie. And he brought in Cam Talbot. I don't see why not. I mean, you know, Matt Zuccarello looks to be playing better. You've got Kevin Fiala. This is a damn good team. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The Wild, it's good to see. We, You and I said at the start of the year that the Wilds, if they can get their prospects going and get the goaltending figure out, the sky's the limit for them. And they're only two points behind Vegas for the division lead in the West. Yeah, that was a that was an unreal game between Vegas and, and Minnesota the other night. I mean, Mark Stone had five points, and he was kind of the reason that uh, <laughs> Vegas won. But that again, that goes to show you they're, they can play with anyone. And that was a – I think they would tell you they should have won that game, but – you'll have lots of opportunities to uh, beat Vegas in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Is there anything else you want to mention before we wrap it up here, Mac? No, I, I think that just about does it. Uh, this was fun as always, Matt. Yeah. And uh, trade deadline for those of you that 
are unaware, will be April 12th this year. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. Uh, not sure how active the trade deadline is going to be with all the restrictions in place, but there are teams that will certainly be making moves and the action is going to get more and more exciting as the season goes along. And we will be back with another episode soon. Yeah, for sure. We're not sure on the date yet, but don't worry. We'll be back. We enjoyed this. We hope you did as well. Yep. All right. That should do it for this episode. As always, Center Ice is brought to you by the National Podcast Network. Find us wherever you get your podcast, whether that be Spotify, Apple, wherever you want to prefer to listen to us, we are happy for it. For Mac, this is Matt signing off. Enjoy the games, everyone.